Tino mai hoki mai. Welcome back to Culture 101 with me, Polina Lau and Mark Amory. This is Mount Joy, a 2023 song by the appropriately named The New Things. And yes, appropriate for two reasons. First, because this hour of Culture 101 on RNZ National is devoted to new things. And The New Things, the band feature on keyboards, one of this hour's panellists, Sarah Lang. Yes, well, welcome to a look over the next hour at the year that was, the best of Aotearoa culture 2023. Later in the hour, we'll be joined by cultural commentators Gemma Gracewood and Sam Brooks in Tamaki Makoto. Uh, but first, we're going to be joined by commentator Erin Harrington in Ōtutahi Christchurch, journalist Andre Chumko, and writer, graphic novelist and musician Sarah Lang here in Pōniki, Wellington. Kia ora koutou to all of you. Kia ora. Kia ora. Hello. Hi, lovely. Lovely to hear from you all. Thanks for joining us. I'd like to start by briefly uh, just thinking about the last week and remembering the playwright and the writer and mentor, Renee, um, who passed away sadly this week. Um, Andre, you you got to speak to her not so long ago for a big feature, I think, for The Post. Yeah, I think I met her um, two years ago. I went out to her small little flat in Ōtaki and she was living there by herself. And I went with a photographer who's no longer with the post, Kevin Stent. Um, and we spent a day with her ahead of her pānui. Um, she was giving it for the Read New Zealand Te Murumura. Um, It's like a yearly kind of talk and they get a different guest. And she was that year's guest. And so, yeah, we went to spend an entire day with her. And it was just really amazing. She had she was so wise and mm. <laughs> irreverent and funny. And everything that she did was... Uh, you could just write a book, you know, based on that one day even. Yeah. Um, really colourful character and lovely woman. Such a trailblazer. I mean, Sarah, she was like, you know, her work going back to Wednesday to come, I mean, talking about class and feminism uh, and, and queer culture was such a trailblazer back in, right back in the early 80s, right? She was indeed. And, um, and I remember acting out Wednesday to come in my 1988 fifth form <laughs> English class. And, um, and it was. It was such a strong political message about uh, yeah, women's work and the depression and, um, yeah, New Zealand culture, I guess. And Erin Harrington there in Ōtutahi, have you got uh, memories of, of Renee's work? Oh, I just loved how um, creative and curious, like she was just a, a force of nature. Like one of my favourite things is just that, you know, a few years ago she thought, right, I guess I'm going to be a crime writer now. Yes. <laughs> and taught herself to uh, write crime novels and ran workshops and then put out uh, the Wild Card and Blood Matters, um, which are both quite good as well. And, you know, we have such narratives about what a um, an artistic career looks like. And she sort of spat in the face of all of that and was just such a, a powerhouse, and it's a, it's a real loss. Spat is a lovely way of putting it. And crime fiction in Christchurch, Ōtutahi, you've just had the Naya Marsh Awards. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. What is it about Christchurch and crime fiction? What does that tell us? <laughs> I, I, I don't know if that's uh, playing into some preconceived ideas about the city or not, but it certainly thrives. Well, let, let's let's have a look at, uh, at things in Ōtutahi and Te Wapoanamo in terms of things that you've enjoyed this year in terms of highlights. The first I've got down here is uh, uh, a Matariki show, uh, Kanoho Kamate. Yes, absolutely. So this was a, I don't know if it was a gig or a performance or a public lamentation, uh, but it was this incredible hour of music from Delaney Davidson, uh, Komi Tamati, uh, Mark Perkins, Taipo Adams and Heather Webb that was 
starts in, in darkness and starts in silence and asked us to, you know, remember those who are passing and those who had passed and then presented this incredible hour of, I don't know, all sorts. There was Kaitahu Waiata, there was today a rap, there was kind of grungy swamp rock uh, distortion, there were torch songs, and it just felt like this incredible, cohesive, unusual, historic moment that we all got to share in the the beautiful Great Hall at the Arts Centre. And I was sitting through it watching and thinking, you know, there's been such divisive rhetoric all year about uh, biculturalism and the relationship between Māori and Pākehā, or Māori and Tauiwi, uh, te reo in English. And you watch a show like that and you think, what are you afraid of? This is the future. It was such a, it was such a privilege to be there and such a strange show. And I hope that they keep uh, working on on this um this this group i guess they're calling themselves uh, a bit of a super group but yeah it was terrific yeah um and, and the the art center itself almost feels like it deserves a shout out i was down a few weeks ago in in, in christchurch and um it's wonderful seeing it refurbished and there's been quite a few reopenings um you've mentioned um uh, some of the work that's going on there under creative mm-hmm. director Chris Archer, and I know uh, Juanita Hippie, who's been uh, running a new uh, Māori art space, Te Whare Tapere there. Yeah, with Ngāo Kao. It's um, an Indigenous hub for storytelling. So on one hand, it looks at first glance maybe a little bit like a white room or a, a white wall art space, but it's actually so much more in terms of the way it's bringing people in to share art and tell stories and uh, be something I, that I guess in a in a Pākehā context you'd call interdisciplinary or transdisciplinary. But the Art Centre itself uh, has kind of had a reopening this year because after 11 years of restoration, 22 of its buildings have been refurbished and reopened and it's really beautiful. There's a few that are kind of mothballed for now just because it's too expensive, but you walk around and it's it's stunning uh, the yeah. the craftsmanship, the um, the feel of it, but also the way that the space is now really functioning again, literally as a as a site for the arts. Whereas it's it's been almost <laughs> a little bit gothic in its gothic revival, a little bit awry over recent years. Yeah. But we now, like you say, have Tifare uh, Tapere. There's a, a circus art space called El Tiora. There's um, markets. There are performances, and like you say, uh, Chris Archer's programming has just been terrific and really looking in a holistic way about what our community is, who our community is, and how the art centre, which has you know a very kind of Pākehā history, um, at least in terms of the buildings, certainly not the land, uh, thinking about well, how can this be more of a space for everyone? And yeah. I I really admire what he's been doing. That's great, Andre and Sarah. Have either of you got down to Christchurch this year? I don't think I have actually. No, I have. I went down for the um, children's book awards. I um, went and talked to a bunch of school kids about um, Sylvia, Sylvia and the Birds, which is a book I worked on with Joe Emini last year. Yeah, so, oh, cool. and it was. It was um, every single year. I actually have been returning to Christchurch nearly yearly because of um, various writing and holiday engagements, and and every year it just seems to. There's more and more, and it's more vibrant, and yeah. the architecture is looking I, more striking. I think the last time we spoke to you, Erin, you uh, were at the, the Christchurch Word Festival. What other highlights have there been for you this year down there? Uh, I particularly liked, uh, you You mentioned Juanita Hepi, I particularly liked uh, Hine Hoya, which she was the creative director for. So that was a commission from Chamber Music New Zealand. And Juanita worked with Danny Lee Syme, who is an aerialist and circus artist who's behind Altiora and the composer Hamish Oliver. And it was this wild, funny, scary uh, take on Stravinsky's Soldier's Tale, uh, where you have um, Taipo, who, the, the devil, which uh, Danny was playing, this great kind of spidery, malevolent force hanging 
up the top above Toi Tomairangi Patterson Waka, who is just this absolute star who was playing Hina Hoya. And again, it was you know this audience in the piano, uh, which is a performing arts um, center amongst other things, just families and laughter and tears and kind of cheering and shouting, and it felt like such a a conversation with the performers. And I'm so glad that uh, Chamber yeah. Music New Zealand supported it and that it was able to tour the country. Oh, so that was at the piano. That's that venue. Yeah. Yeah, that looks mm-hmm. beautiful. I haven't been to any performances myself. Just going back to the Arts Centre, um, the Physics Room had great programming this year, I hear. It's a really great sort of artist project space, right, there? Yeah, it is. The the thing I really admire about the Physics Room is that they are as much about developing critical discourse and professional development and so on as they are in uh, staging housing, um, experimental and contemporary art. And this year's programme, on one hand, the uh, the art that was installed, the works, had this great sense of materiality, like there was lots of stuff about water and dirt and land. There was uh, some work from Anaiti called I'm a Salt Lake. There was a great uh, group show called Like Water by Water, which was all about kind of geomorphology and landscapes. And a show called Te Puku o Te Tanifa, which had this big tentacly kind of monster hanging from the ceiling and there was video game <laughs> elements and moving image. It was really cool. But they also have a great uh, publication record. So their current publication is called Correspondence. Writers write to each other and to the works uh, around a theme. And they also have a series that I just think is so essential, which is called Artist Life School, uh, where you can just come along for free and learn about how to pack up your art, how to pitch to festivals, how to write an artist statement. And it feels like a really... I don't know, contemporary art can be a little bit alienating if you don't feel like you have the language or the connections there, but this feels like a really powerful way to bring people in and to share resources and knowledge. Well, thank you, Erin. Feel free to keep chipping in and stay on the line because it's a bit of a party today. So the same for you, (laughs) Sarah and Andre. um, Andre, I want to pass to you because you've been one of the very few, you and Sam Brooks actually, been one of the few arts journalists we've got left in the country. So you you kind of like got a big remit to cover everything that's really important that's going on. What stood out for you this year in terms of just arts news stories? I actually, I was reflecting on this um, this past week and I initially I thought oh, I couldn't really think of too much and then I went back through everything I'd written and I actually thought this has been a massive year for the arts. Um, oh yeah, why? Initially, um, well, what came up first was Creative New Zealand, huge year for Creative New Zealand. So the National Arts Funder... Um, I think it started off the year a bit rocky. I mean, it had come out of last year, out of kind of separate PR crises involving the Shakespeare Globe Centre, We Are Indigo, and then it had committed to this review of all of its funds, which people Mm. were saying, you know, we can't get access to this money. Um, There's too too little money and too many people applying. Mm. And so it had committed to the review, but everyone was a bit sceptical of the outcome. Um, and then it came out later this year um, that it was basically going to replace those funds with um, its arts grants with new funds, um, and those they're going to be ring fenced now. So, where whereas it was, everyone would be applying basically now that if you're an early career artist versus someone more seasoned, you'd have kind of a separate fund. But a criticism of that has been basically it's the same pool of money and actually it will be smaller from next year so yeah whether it will actually 
mm. shake out to be any different remains to be seen, I suppose. You, you like me, have got to speak to the new Minister of Arts, Culture and Heritage, Paul Goldsmith. Um, yes. do you, do you, you, does that leave you hopeful for the arts for this next government term? Yeah, I was quite impressed by Paul. I went to his office um, last two weeks ago. I can't remember now. <laughs> um, yeah, he was very um, forthright about his support for the arts. He asked for the arts portfolio, he told me, when they were divvying up the <laughs> portfolios. And um, yeah, he, he was very um, hopeful, but um, non-committal at the same time to some of the more systemic things which people have been asking for. He was quite frank that there isn't just like a pool of money sitting around that will be given to the arts. So, yeah. um, but I, I almost thought... Um, that honesty was a little bit refreshing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, get, I, I guess we've, we've, we've had, yeah, the previous government has, yeah, it's been a little bit difficult to get an answer sometimes, I've felt. Um, Sarah Lang, you're, you're a great reader and a writer, great writer. Um, I was wondering um, whether you had any particular picks in terms of literature, in terms of reading this year to contribute to this hour's best of. Um, I do indeed have some picks and you know I also have thoughts about arts funding as well um, universal basic income for artists that seems to me the only way to me because absolutely uh, there is it's all very well getting some kind of grant but then when the grant runs out how is the artist to maintain their artist practice without sustained funding um, that's my little kind no, of no thank you keep yeah. chipping in um, everybody you too Erin <laughs> you can yeah, um, no, and uh, uh, I'm all props for to that. <laughs> I'm all for the uh, the Irish system where writers are uh, you know actually supported properly and um, and as a result they have these brilliant writers that continue to emerge from Ireland um, you know Anne Enright the Wren the Wren people have been talking about what a wonderful book that is and um, and so many more but my pick is a New Zealand one um, I've got a number of picks actually um, I'm just such a um, no, I do consume an awful lot of literature and music and film and um, and whatever I've most recently read is my favourite. But I do actually think that Bird Life by Anna yeah. Smale, which was uh, published by Te Heringa Waka Press, um, will be an enduring uh, one. Yeah, it's, I'm halfway through this. I get the sense that it's kind of missed off a few best of lists because it's relatively come relatively late in the year yeah, in release. Yeah, it was published mid-November and I think most of the best of lists, well, for instance, my best of list, I submitted that um, early November before I yeah, read. this is on the listener. We've got reproductions thanks to the listener on our webpage of your wonderful illustrations of that best off list. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Well, the, um, what's so, so great about Anna Smale's bird so, life then the, for you? What's so great about it is that it is uh, set in Tokyo. Um, a, a young New Zealander has gone there to teach English as a second language. Um, her brother has just died. He was, you know, some kind of genius classical uh, pianist who um, who uh, he has, um, you know. Uh, the, his his uh, he, he was a genius until this all failed him, um, and she is somewhat lost in Tokyo. And there is another character, Yasuko, who is a, a Japanese uh, teacher of English as well, and uh, and their two lives collide. And the thing about Yasuko is that um, she, at the age of thirteen, she suddenly realised that she could talk to animals. She could understand the language of beetles and birds and <laughs> and all things small, and they could reveal the truth about the uh, the world to her but then at a certain point after she had the birth, after she had her first son um, 
this power was taken away from her and she felt incredibly bereft. So, I mean, the book has a little bit of a Murakami kind of magical realism about it. Mm. Um, and uh, Dinah, the um, New Zealander, is haunted by her brother as well. But, I mean, what is so wonderful about um, Anna's Anna's work is the precision of the language and um and the incredible poetry, and and also just her attention to materiality as well. I've got a small quote. Shall I read the small quote? Go on. Time? Go on. Okay, so this is just something which leapt out at me. It's all exquisite writing. In Yoyogi, the blossom had disappeared and the trees were in full green leaf. Yasuko stopped at the vendor's stand at the threshold gates and bought a paper carton of ta- takoyaki. A group of men were standing in a circle just inside the gates. Their hair was curved into tall, hard quiffs, and they wore pegged jeans, plaid shirts, crepe-soled shoes. And um, that's just like a small example of... It's just so like, precise and beautiful. poetic, but also so human. Mm. Yeah. Andre, what, what else for you stood out this year? Um, well, obviously the Artist Royalty Resale Scheme Bill finally passed into law. Um, I can't remember what exact month, but that was... Um, passed by the House unanimously, I think, and um, that will really help our visual artists, obviously, when yeah. their work is resold in like an auction house, um, or sorry, buy an auction house in an auction. Um, yeah, I don't think it the force it's come into force quite yet. Um, the Ministry for Culture and Heritage, I think, is still looking for some sort of agency that will manage all of the collection fees and kind of uh, dole they them. haven't announced that yet. They haven't announced it yet, I don't think. And that agency will kind of dole them out, but that will pay them, I think, five percent, a five percent royalty. Um, which is basically recognition of the fact that their work appreciates in value over time, um, and kind of brings us more into line with yeah 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 comparable countries. And and Sarah, um, visual arts. Have you managed to to catch any 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 great shows this year? Um, I have indeed. Um, I just want to give a shout out to the Aisha Green show that was at the City Gallery, mm. which was extraordinary. Um, and one which I just recently saw, uh, we were in Taranaki, we went to New Plymouth a few weeks ago, and I um, caught um, Te Tau Whakatonu, A Series of Never-Ending Beginnings, um, which was the, um, I think it was a survey of contemporary Māori. I saw the art. show, it's beautiful. Yeah, and mm. a, a piece which particularly stood out to me was by Ngahina Hōhaya, um, Roimata Toroa, which is um, just this beautiful um, installation of poi, which have been made out of blankets, which of course represent the blankets that were given in exchange for land um, in the early colonising days. Um, and also this um, exquisite multimedia exhibition of Toroa albatross feathers, which are suspended oh, from the ceiling. Yeah. And there's a video work and it just is sort of magical and kinetic. And it just has such wonderful synergy with the Len Lai sculptures, yeah. which are already existing and we had the privilege, we managed to get there at the right time and they turned on all the sculptures and we're like, what a genius this it's guy It's pretty is. still amazing to go to, yeah. isn't it? Hey, well stay with us both of you. Erin, um, just back to you there in Christchurch. We've got a song pick from you. Um, lots of great yes. music from Ototahi this this um, yeah, but this is Model Home Midnight Dragon Garden. Could you tell us about why you picked this? Uh, partly because Dragon Garden is a very well-known late-night Chinese restaurant, so that helps uh, paint the picture a little bit. Uh, I really like Model Home. Um, I know a few of the people in the band. They're really lovely. They describe themselves as a sad song quartet, and I think that's a little bit misleading because really their music is kind of 
joyful and a little melancholy and sweet kind of plinky plonky indie and Rachel Norcross <laughs> who's the vocalist is um she's just got a gorgeous voice she she trained as a jazz singer amongst other things yes. so this is a track from their new album which is called and nobody made a sound and it's it's just really delightful Thank sad you. and melancholy Thank but you. delightful well after this we'll be joining Polina and Sam and Gemma Gracewood and and um and Tamaki Makoto and uh, everyone can stay with us uh, as the party continues here's here's model home.
That was Midnight Dragon Garden by Otatahi Group Model Home from their debut album, named after a late-night Chinese restaurant in Rickerton, and the choice of one of our panellists this hour, Erin Harrington. Plinky plonky. I love that description. <laughs> Thanks, Erin. <laughs> well, we're continuing looking back at the year that was, and I've got two guests joining me now to recap the best of film, theatre and television this year. Gemma Gracewood is a writer, producer and editor-in-chief of Letterboxd, a network of 10 million film lovers who rate and review their movie activities. It's epic. And Sam Brooks is an award-winning, prolific playwright and journalist, and he's a staff feature writer at The Spin-Off at the moment. Kia ora korua. Thanks for coming in today. Kia ora. And uh, Gemma's bought and brought uh, sour cherry tarts, so I think Auckland Tamaki Makoto wins. Yeah, I know. Sarah and Andre have let me down. Sorry. Sorry. Let the team down, guys. I've got some jelly beans in my bag. (laughs) Yeah, bring them out. I'm just the Christmas Grinch and not bringing anything. Although Gemma, I did did announce you as Grimmer before, like it was kind of like the the, the Christmas Gemma Grinch. I'm sorry, oh. but it was like Grimmer Gracewood. Oh, I love it, Mark. We've known each other long enough that you know that I'll get you back at some point. <laughs> let's start with film, and let's start with you, Gemma. What are your best ofs this year? Oh, so many. Like you said, can you give me two films? And so I think I sent you a list of about twenty. 20. 700 um, because I was like oh my gosh it's been an incredible year for animation we had to talk about The Boy and the Heron Nimona uh, uh, and out right now on Netflix uh, Check and Run Dawn of the Nugget uh, Suzume Uh, so just a shout out for animation in general this year Um, but I did manage to narrow it down to a couple of well one international film and one local film Mm. so the Palm Door winner can't go past Justine Triet's Anatomy of a Fall. I don't know who managed to catch it at Fano Marama, the New Zealand International Film Festival this year. It was supposed to be on Netflix this week. Ah, uh, it is in the United States, but they not pulled for it us. because its awards prospects are so high that they're going to go with a theatrical run ah. here, sort of sometime in the new year. Which great, then we get to see Julia Moore and Natalie Portman on the big screen, which is never a bad thing. But we all could have been enjoying talking so much more about it right now but um it is great because i do regret not going to the opening of the film festival yes. when i had a ticket me oh, too yeah. i was in the exact same situation i think the ballet was on yeah <laughs> i don't know I so to, that was oh, to call i went for my child <laughs> so that's may december um yes. but anatomy of a fall it was so also good. It was ex- it was, yeah it was excruciating incredible eh? so they're both at the film festival um but anatomy of a fall my gosh it's this is a french courtroom drama it is a french thriller? courtroom i was going to yeah. say a french courtroom drama thriller but when you think courtroom drama, don't think you can't handle the truth. You know, it's like <laughs> that's what we're kind of used to that, and maybe um, Twelve Angry Men. But French courtrooms are a whole completely. Different. They are walking Living. around constantly for yeah. two and a half hours. Yeah, and there was <laughs> another... Sam. This is on your list as well, yes. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So I sent my list through, and Sam was like, "Yes, I can speak to that too." And it's interesting because this year, actually, in French drama, was bookended by courtroom. Dramas, so Saint Omer, which is a beautiful, mm. stunning film. Oh yes, so I good. saw that. It was wonderful. Yeah, and then Anatomy of a Fall, which basically, if I ever get in trouble, please try me in a French courtroom, because <laughs> it's you know we're used to these lawyers doing their grandstanding and one person in the witness stand, and that's kind of it. But mm. they have this conversation, and it just goes on and on, and it seems very and compassionate. It's beautiful. Yeah. And- and it's funny. It's funny. Yeah, yeah, look, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could, yeah. yeah, like, yeah, like, it, it is disarmingly funny. And yeah, y- y- yeah, you end up forming these really personal relationships with each of huh. the characters. So, like, other lawyers and the, like, 
um, the like all audiences, and and it's just yeah. like it's like it's so fraught and beautiful. Yeah. So it starts just very quickly. Starts with a, a woman, a, a writer, very successful writer, is being interviewed, um, but upstairs her husband is like just blasting music so that it's impossible <laughs> for the interview to happen because fifty there is, cent, right? Yeah, it's fifty cent. It's blasting fifty. <laughs> let's be very specific about it. He is blasting fifty cent. It's impossible for this interview to take place. There's clearly artistic rivalry going on. And meanwhile, there's a beautiful um, uh, sight-impaired son and a dog. And uh, anyway, somebody falls. It is called Anatomy of a Fall. Somebody falls, or were they pushed? And then the courtroom story unfolds. And so this will be getting a theatrical release? I would hope so. I feel like, has it already come through the leader? I don't think it has. I don't think it has, yeah. But, and yeah, same with May, December, right? So there's a massive films out this year, but not coming to us until February, I think, uh, May, December. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That one one has been all over my social media. May, December? Yeah, particularly these last couple of weeks. Mm. Do you want to just sum up what the premise is? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. So, like, it follows an actress called Elizabeth, who is played by Nat- Natalie Portman, who is researching the story of this woman, Gracie, played by Julianne Moore, who got into a relationship with a 13-year-old boy, played by Charles Melton, who a lot of RNZ listeners will know from Riverdale. And... um. Um, and yeah, and it's been about 20 years since. So, and it follows how this actress just tries to learn about the history of this um, relationship. And it's really torrid. It's, it's really uncomfortable. It's pretty, um, it's camp, but not unintentionally. So yeah. And it, yeah. And it just, it slowly just unravels all of the layers about how much we are kind of performing for others and kind of other kind of other s- stories that we want to present about ourselves mm. t- to others and, and it has this really gorgeous th- through line about how we as like a um, we as like a audience and especially as a, a, um, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like as um, a consumer of crime and of true crime, yes. try and make narratives more complicated and more complex. And it's just no. Sometimes abuse is just abuse. Sometimes it's just mm. an abusive relationship. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's based on the true story of Mary Kay Latorno, who yes. who did in fact have a relationship with a thirteen-year-old. Mm. And there is man, a, and there's oh, yes. So there's you a, may have seen on yeah. uh, any of social media you're on, you may have seen a clip doing the rounds from Channel Seven Australia, an extraordinary current affairs interview with the couple, the real life together, couple, together, yeah. in which. He's, I mean, the interviewer is incredible, right? He's, he's, he's going in on them and going, mm. but this was, you know, you know, this was wrong. You know, this was illegal. And she's just turning to her, you know, younger husband, yeah. father of her children and going, but who was the boss? Yeah. Who was the boss? Who was the boss? And, and, ke- and keeps repeating it. And you can see yeah. his, you can see his face going, uh, you know, and he's, he's sort of embarrassed almost. And yeah. you can see the reporter going, should I jump yeah. in and yeah, do say I something and do or this? do it? And, he, and the reporter does say something at some point saying, well, you're, yeah. you were the older one, but then gets sort of shut down by her. By her, repeating she's this so intense. And not looking at the reporter. And the way that Sammy Birch, the script writer, has taken that interview and, and, and woven it in a fictional sense into the film, it becomes a 
bedroom conversation, mm. yeah. which gives it a, a different kind of power and a different kind of because there's no witnesses to that conversation mm. essentially. It's and not and even in the bedroom mm. scene, I've just seen the clip, but even Julianne Moore's body language, her positioning, oh. she sort of crouched down a little bit so she's lower than yes. him. You know, all those things. And so this yeah. is the... To, to make yeah. you feel a certain way. Yeah, because yeah. it's like, she, I think that she still sees herself as the victim and... Absolutely. Yeah, like, she had and, no... She was drawn into it. He, yeah. he's, into he it. pursued her yes. as the whole story. As a 13-year-old. You know, she could not say no even though he was only 13 and mm. she's a grown woman. But what's wonderful about you just raising Julianne's performance... Perlina is that, so it's Todd Haynes who directed it um, from Sammy Birch's script. Todd and Julie, Julianne have worked together a lot already, and including the extraordinary Safe. Um, so and Julianne does a thing specifically with Todd where they spend a lot of time talking about where she is going to be placed in the shot mm. and how mm. long she has in each shot, you know, so it's not too cutty and choppy. It's yeah. like, how long will I have in this scene? And then she goes away and develops a new voice for every character she does. So there's a a little bit of a lisp going on with this particular character, Gracie. And then you add in on top of that. So we're all used to the Todd and Julianne dynamic, but then you bring in another A-lister, Natalie Portman, yes. into yeah. that whole dynamic. And it's just, as a viewing experience, it's not just about the story. It's also about the story of the of story. Of the story. Yeah. Yes, yes. Totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, and just seeing Natalie, who is a very good actress, playing a very average actress <laughs> and like picking up <laughs> kind of That's like a great bit. observation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can really ostentatiously picking up bits of the other character and it like like it's horrible because like you you know that even though she thinks that she's playing the truth all she is doing is like picking up these really obvious bits that Mm. a really average actor would do rather than a really (laughs) good actor that's so good that feels like um, a critique of her but it's not it's actually saying she's done a great job No, and also because it was Natalie's idea Natalie brought the story I love that she got the script mm. from Sammy Birch off the blacklist which is a fantastic resource of unproduced scripts the best unproduced scripts (laughs) took it to Todd Haynes and then it went from there so So it's May December right yeah Yeah. Um, and just quickly going back to the Anatomy of a Fall Ken has just written in saying Anatomy of a Fall had a theatrical release I saw it about a month ago in Pornicky oh Oh, there you go hopefully it'll land somewhere that we and hopefully it will come back and I, I, I would love to just say a little bit about box office in 2023 if that's possible to go into my New Zealand pick. Yes. Uh, it's not been a great year. It hasn't been a great, like, four years because pandemic. Um, but Barbenheimer aside, don't let Barbenheimer make you think that cinemas are raking in the bucks because they're simply not. Um, November this year was 45% down on box office in Aotearoa wow. from November last year. Ooh. And, you know, we're a year further along from the pandemic. Um, and I think a big part of it is that... Um, you know, it's sort of the lie of streaming. Every film that stays in the cinema for one more week after its opening weekend is a miracle. Mm. Um, the danger of streaming is this sort of lie of availability. Everything's available, or if I don't catch it in the movies, I will catch it on streaming. Yeah. That's not always yeah. true. I mean, like, think when we're going to talk about theatre, but like, you would never go, oh, I won't see that play this week during its run because I'll see it again later. You simply won't. Mm. And so... You do have to make a choice, and you might have a fancy big TV with cinema mode and a sound bar and all that kind of stuff at home if you're lucky and well-resourced, but there's nothing like seeing a film that was made for a big screen 
But then again, on the of big course, screen. Um, the, uh, the advantage of streaming is that these small films, which would never actually yes. garner a huge audience, are able to find an audience. And I'm thinking in particular of the um, King Loser documentary that was out recently. Oh, I watched that yep. this week. It's wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, um, and, you know, you, it's just... There are not life. so many. There are not so many King Loser fans. Of course, there should be way, way more. <laughs> but it's good to know that you can find it online. Yeah, and completely. you can see this extraordinary story. But there's also nothing like seeing it at the Hollywood. Well, yes, you're yeah. right. This is true. This <laughs> is know, true. This is true. Yeah. Both of these things are true. Both and of these I things love are true. Going to the yeah. movies myself. Yeah. I love going to the movies and having an ice cream and a wine at the same time, <laughs> even though they clash and it's a bad idea. But uh, yeah. Did, did yeah. you get to that, Gemma? Was the King Loser? There was a live performance as well, wasn't there? With the King Loser? There was, Mark. Okay. I was actually away from all that particular weekend but I did get to a lot of other uh, New Zealand international film festival films but I also saw a lot of New Zealand films at other film festivals Mm. in Melbourne I saw Bad Behaviour and at the Toronto International Film Festival I saw um, Lee Tamahori's next film The Convert which comes Ah. out next year Um, Taika's uh, next goal wins and Uproar Paul Middleditch and Hamish Bennett's gorgeous film that is um semi-autobiographical about Paul's time at um, a Catholic boys' high school in the 1980s during the 81 Springbok tour, um, which, of course, Julian Dennison plays the lead role. And so... Reese Darby's his teacher. Oh, Darby's his teacher. And I think that's the other thing, is in terms of film in 2023, you can't also underestimate the effect of... the impact of the very, very, very important actors and writers' strikes Mm. um, to get better conditions in their AMPTP contracts. But it did mean that a film like Uproar didn't have Reese and Minnie Driver and even Julian Dennison on the publicity circuit mm, because mm. they were unable to. They didn't uh, couldn't talk about it. Couldn't talk about it. But in spite of that, and in a year where we have had incredible local films that haven't done great box office um, and should have, so Bad Behaviour, Loop Track, The Paragon, which will come out next year, Uproar interestingly, is still in cinemas this week. Mm. That is a miracle. And the reason is because it is word of mouth. That is a film where I think tonally the marketing didn't quite hit the mark in terms of getting audiences in the door. But the audiences who did come in the door went, this is this is an incredible film. I'm going to tell everyone about it. And I, it's still going. I will say, and yeah. so I, I did look this up, it's still at Bridgeway in Tamakimakoto yeah. for those who want to see it. But I saw the trailer and I just thought, oh yeah, you know. Yeah, me too. It was okay. Me too. And it was very light. It sold it as a very light kind of comedy, the sort of almost classic Reese Darby gags. And I went and there were multiple scenes where I was just bawling my eyes out. And I just thought, this has so much more heart and it's so much more grounded than it was sold in a a way. And I just... I felt sort of not disappointed, but I thought, oh, I do, I do hope people do go see this and and don't just judge the yeah. Movie by the trailer. It's got incredible storylines about solo motherhood and what yeah. that looks like, yeah. about grief, history. about history, about um, the you know complications of biculturalism mm. and multiculturalism. Mm. It um, talks about the old boys network in schools. You know, it's like yeah. it, there's just so much in it, and it does this gorgeous thing where you think, oh, here we go, coming of age film. We're going to see some pretty classic plot points and then it just gently swerves yeah not violently but gently in a way that just keeps you on your toes yeah, and then it, it also does. just does really great sight gags like julian dennison's character literally sitting on a fence as a protest march goes past him <laughs> yeah. and like i appreciate that i'm a fan of the <laughs> political sight gag let's move on to talk about theater um because we could talk about this films for oh. hours easily easily so sam uh, for you it was a kids show by julia croft 
uh, in April. Yes, yeah. Um, wild. Yes, so uh, the, the wild was made by Julia Croft and Virginia Frankovic, who like have a history of making extremely intelligent but extremely immediate and actually really, I think, really um, kind of easy to access art that is a performance art uh, yeah, uh, yeah 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 like it kind of blends um um kind of other forms and it is their first like kids show so ho, ho, like it's a really accessible messy show that is aimed at kids like i'd like say like i saw it on its opening night so it's opening afternoon <laughs> and yeah like <laughs> and i saw kids age three through to like t- 12 there and yeah 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 there's no like hates in it yeah yeah you all just sit on cushions and a croft kind of i love that travels around and is introducing each of the kids are to like kind of like fun like um materials are to play with and just she's just showing how like slime can just like go from hand to hand and like how it can sound and like how it can be thrown and like it's so cool it was just such a joyous experience and also quite crucially let each child engage or sit back as much as they yeah like yeah yeah there were kids who like came up being like oh my god my god things 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 and and that yeah yeah like yeah yeah it's like and then like some who like were like a bit more kind of shy and like went okay okay well i'll hold this and i'll figure out how this moves and works and then i might and and yeah and like it was such a reminder of how important excellent kids theater is because it kind of it like gets people understanding the art form and kind of like um how it can be used and like how it can be um kind of used to provide a really unique and different ex yeah yeah yeah, yeah like experience it's not all all, all like p- 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 pantomime look behind you or like kind of like shows that are just uh kids books on stage even yeah like even though uh, those shows absolutely have a role and have a place but like actually seeing properly inventive forward-thinking progressive kids theater was so amazing and and it had Mm -hmm. such a short run and i just hope it comes back because i'm just like every kid could find something in the show and also like it's an hour of making mess in a space and and it's I not at my home. dream <laughs> also i love watching kids reactions in theater because yeah. one of my it's first my, one of my oh my gosh is honest one of my first jobs was a kids theater show and honestly they will just turn away if, <laughs> yeah. if you are not engaging or you're not yeah. interesting you will know straight away you walk on and you're like oh yeah okay but i, I, I need to be better a, a formative childhood experience going and seeing a witch on a vacuum cleaner and being absolutely terrified <laughs> and refusing to step foot in another theatre for yeah. a year. I also just I, wanted I just to... Sh- more adult- I was going to say, I wish more adults would just go to see uh, work for young people, whether totally. or not they have young people yeah. in their lives. It's yeah. such... 
beautiful, inspiring, big-hearted. You know, you can be like me, the the solo child-free adult weeping in the back row and just have (laughs) these these really moving experiences. I wanted to shout out the National Theatre for Children. Yeah, me too. This year. Yeah. Yeah, sadly, Peter Linden's brainchild. Yeah, it was amazing. Which have brought very happy memories to a lot of people over many years and... I think it was uh, 25 years. Yeah, it was 25 years, I think, the Capital E National Theatre for Children. And I think, you know, Children's Theatre in New Zealand is totally underrated. I've toured around some of them in Europe, and it's really an area where, you know, it's a little bit like Sam's saying, it's just such an area for great experimentation, and to treat that as an area for really quality arts is really important. Mm. So, shout, yeah, good. it's great to hear about The Wild. That sounds like a great show, Sam. And yeah. um, The Savage Colonizer, that was your other one, Sam. Yes, yes. So this show made headlines and I kind of want to ignore that because kind of the actual content of the show, it was of a world-class kind, like the visuals were extremely, like it felt like watching an off-Broadway show in terms of how much time, how much money and how much investment had been spent, not just on the on-stage kind of for how like all of these words have been like workshopped, have been rehearsed. It mm. it just moved so smoothly. And then just being in a room f- in a Auckland Festival crowd that is a very specific crowd. And even though it was an opening night crowd, so like it was probably a bit more curated than like most mm. nights. It was still mm. a real blend of different backgrounds and seeing people really sit there and be properly confronted on stage and not being confronted by, like, bad theatre or, like, loud acting, but by actually progressive bracing ideas was really lovely. And it made me have heaps of hope for, like, hopefully where the festivals are going in the future is, like, kind of, like... programming the work of yeah 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 it's like these like playwrights and poets that actually makes you think that actually makes you respond and change your ideas about the like kind of like the wounds of uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like uh, and um, Tosiata Avia, she's got um, a new book out called "Big Fat Brown Bitch," which mm. I think has been written in response to just the extraordinary, you know, abusive, terrible, you know, um, yeah, people but, talking about mm. her poem. And well, I think way. David Seymour was the one who. I mean, it just feels like it framed the year. You know, he called out the Savage Colonize show as a racist stage show about murdering James Cook. You know, and. Here we are at the end of the year. She's putting out a, an acclaimed poetry book called mm. Big Fat Brown Bitch. And she's such an interesting thinker. And I did hear an extraordinary interview of her on RNZ. Yes. And um, yeah, and she's got a Substack as well. So if you want to read more of her writing, let's talk about um, TV. We've spent so much time on theatre and film for hours. <laughs> um, we've got we've got um, two shows: uh, After the Party and Somebody Somewhere. Now, after the party is on TVNZ Plus. This has been one that's been mentioned oh. by multiple mm. guests. You know, it's yeah. 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 yeah, perfect. I, I think <laughs> it's. So good. I think someone said today to me. They said oh, it's like a modern day outrageous fortune in some ways. What? I think because of Malcolm. I think it's because of Robin Malcolm, Malcolm. Malcolm. Malcolm being good. Outrageous and doing, fortune is a modern day thing. outrageous fortune. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it's that old, mind you. <laughs> yeah. No, it's interesting, isn't it? So after the party, Robin Malcolm, the wonderful guest lead of Outrageous uh, Fortune. 
initiated this series. I was going to say about uproar that that no film has shown Dunedin better in terms of like the woolly, the woolly jersey Dunedin and you know trudging up the hills. This so, is the Wellington. Yeah, version yeah. Of this it, is the it? Wellington yeah. version yeah. of that. I was like, I can't believe they wrote. Robin Malcolm's character without an e-bike, like she just spends. <laughs> she's all the time riding just, a bike. Oh my god! A, so much time just riding that bike up hills and then hauling and it up the steps it. to her house. Yeah, hauling oh it and god. throwing hauling a bike it, yeah. around. Yeah. I'm used to a bike award. Yeah, yeah. You could t- imagine. You can imagine that conversation and the locations guy going, "I've got an idea." Yeah. This is true. It's such a, an e-bike. Uh, no, it definitely was not an e-bike. No, it's not. And an also, e-bike. it had her um, grandson's seat on the back as well. So sometimes she was hauling another. 20 kilos, but it was such a physical <laughs> a performance because she's, she's mm. kayaking, yeah. she's um, committing, um, you know, political uh, activist offences, she's riding her bike everywhere, she's posing nude for um, for life drawing sessions, she's uh, uh, she's committing, uh, well, she's, yeah, she's helping a friend cheat on his wife. Uh, there's a lot. It's she's a, a very hectic she's person. A yeah. character. But also, who isn't? Yes. Totally. And to a degree, yeah. you know? Yeah. 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 It's like, and like, it kind of, how kind of everyone else in like that show views her is like as this insane person. Yeah. And, and a bit and, annoying. Yeah. Here she and goes again. Because she saw something that she yeah. knows to be true involving exactly. her husband. Yeah. But nobody believes her. Totally. Yeah. So it's it's interesting sitting on the outside of it and being like, no, yeah, yeah, you're not insane. You're the only sane person in the show. Yeah. And and Although, and, I mean, and yet seeing her fight against, literally, I think she has conflicts with every single person in the show. Yes. yes. And it's a slightly different conflict with yes. every single yeah. person yeah. as yeah. well. And and it does that thing where halfway through you do start to go even as the audience. You know what yeah. you know. She's right. You know yeah. what mm. she saw, and that you would think the same. But even halfway through, you start to go, "Hang on, oh, a maybe second. she is yeah. being a bit." Oh, it's maybe so she... clever. And the other yeah. wonderful thing about it for those of us who, who who joined early is that it rolled out weekly, so it I wasn't was so like all that. six episodes landing and we binged them. It was like it built a national conversation amongst you know those of us who were hanging out for. Each next a rare episode conversation and, these days. Yeah, yeah. and I and easy it's, conversation. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the thing is, I can't express. I I absolutely acknowledge that streaming helps us see independent films. I can't express enough that that's not what makes money, and therefore we can't get these kind of cin, you know cinematic films and cinematic series without the kind of. Um, Weekly rollout series that attract advertisers, yes. and without cinema cinema screenings. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like and a really interesting note about after. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm about um, after the party is that each week it actually built yes. on its audience live. Yes. So how, how like each like and yeah, yeah. Just it got larger each week anymore. and that no, yeah, yeah. Like with any yeah. show on streaming viewing. live mm. live yeah. viewing yeah. like to, to yeah. get more. Exactly. Appointment viewing and I guess it's just like shout out to all the audiences who turned up for those appointments yeah. on TV. Shout My out to all the audiences. Son made yeah. sure he was home for dinner so that he could wow. watch it. Is. And shout out to <laughs> and when was the last yeah when was the last time any of us really did that. Yeah and shout out to the audience who bought cinema tickets and and bought theatre tickets and who bought novels and yeah. Who bought theatre tickets? Yeah. yeah, because it is a con- you know it's a contract. We and went to bands. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, quickly before we go, can we get a round of holiday uh, Christmas holiday movies? Is it? Do you guys Ooh. have one? Like like actual Christmas movies well, or just movies the, the, we like to watch during the holidays? Yeah, that one. The second that one. one. Do you, is there like you know for lots of people it's Love Actually or The uh, Holiday? 
Well, I yes. actually love the holiday. Mm. I, I love yeah. such I love the soundtrack. Oh. I love the soundtrack. You I love the holiday. Wrong. I love my the, my favorite part of the holiday is the Kate Winslet storyline with the old neighbor who's yes. a scriptwriter who yes. gets his roses from his his guild. Oh. Finally, I love that film yes. so much. Um, another great holiday watch, I think, for us and our family. Well. It's going to be Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget, double feature with Chicken Run, because we love stop motion during the holidays. Oh my gosh. Sam? Um, mine is a weird, silly, no, no, you're like, it's an indie choice. It's a film called uh, A Tangerine from like about <gasps> Such five a good Christmas years ago. And it is this movie that's set at Christmas. It's about two trans women who were who, who just having maybe the worst th- three days of their life and, and it's all shot in on, LA. yeah yeah, so yeah. It's, not it's particularly all shot like snowy Christmas like on, on an iPhone yeah. it's yeah. like it's so funny but also like it's about this beautiful friendship that they can just last through anything there's this one song that is so gorgeously performed like and it's attended by like three people oh it, like yeah. it's not it's maybe not a family watch but I I love it so I'm, much. I'm and, so yeah, that's glad my Christmas, I asked. Christmas I, film. I'm so glad I asked. I was not expecting these answers. I uh, I've got a shout out for Carol. I just want to put that in before. Oh, what yes. about Die Hard? <laughs> yes, I'm doing here. Consider Die Hard. Andre, I'm doing movie? Die Hard this this <laughs> oh week. Oh my that's god, that's on the it, list. It totally is a Christmas yeah. movie. It is. Oh, uh, we've, we've run out of time, haven't I we? I know a... that went like a you know in a blink of an eye. Well, thank you, everyone. Thank you. that was Gemma Gracewood and Sam Brooks in this half hour, and thank you to our panel earlier in the hour: Aaron Harrington, Sarah Lang, and Andre Chumko. Hope everyone, hope you guys have a great Christmas.